0: Hey friends, Andy Jenkins here. I'm sitting down in the office at Transformation Ministries with my friend, Rock Hobbs. Uh, I, you know, Every week I say he's like the head honcho, the preacher, pastor, shepherder, encourager, I, founder, um, executive director of Transformation Ministries. It just has an incredible thing going on here. Uh, to, today, we want to talk about His most difficult year, though. Okay, so a lot of times we talk about the pain point might be the very place that God uses you in some of the greatest ways. And I think simultaneously, the area that you're going to be used by God in a great way seems to be one of the areas the enemy goes after the most aggressively. So simultaneously, the enemy's going after it. God's going for it. It's going to become a platform that helps other people move into their purpose, into their full potential, so let's talk about, in this episode, day 368. And I know we're going to have to even define what that
1: what that even yeah. is, but you were, you were telling me yeah. before we got started. Man, that was the worst year of my life. Yeah. Um, well, uh, on my second marriage, I uh, met a girl in Las Vegas. She worked for American Airlines, and I had to chase her for, in my, in my story, I had to chase her for about four years before she finally realized she loved me. <laughs> but um, I married her, and... It was great. I was still in the Air Force. This is Vicky. Yeah, this, this is Vicky. This is my current wife. And um, and but my drinking was increasing, and I kept uh, drinking more and more. And of course, a wife—you can fool a lot of people, but you can't <laughs> fool your, fool your can't wife. fool your wife. She's seeing it, and I wasn't trying to hide it. I mean, I I, I mean, it's open about it. How much were you drinking? Uh, I don't even want to go there, but a lot. So this this isn't like a small like I'm having something. I followed the rules for flying, but if I wasn't flying, I was drinking, and that was what was causing the problem in the relationship. Because I would, you know, I'd get a little. I I didn't get drunk all the time, but I would kind of be, you know, tipsy. But I would spend more time wanting to drink beer and or have a few martinis or have wine when I'm cooking or whatever. And she started feeling like that was more important than her. And that's what shifted the whole relationship. I mean, to some extent, she was right. Absolutely. I mean, because right. like this is... Yeah. And I would, I got to the point in our marriage, at about the 12-year point, where I felt like, she felt like um, every time she wanted to do something, like, hey, come to the mall with us with the kids. And we had the, the twins and the little one, we had three in diapers at one time. And I just said, "Now nah, you guys go." I give her a lot of money. Hey, go get this, take this, and and then I would go down and watch football and drink. And yeah. so uh, she started feeling alone, and she kept saying, "We, we don't have relationship." And i was going, "What are you talking about? We don't have relationship." And uh, one thing led to another that I felt like I, I mean, I did diapers, I cooked, I did grocery shopping, I did all the yard work. I provided w- I provided, the man. And, and i nice made a, lot of money, a but I but I drank and she just kept saying, You're here, but you're not here. And I didn't get that. I and I would get mad when she would say that. Well, she kept saying that she started getting to the place where she's going, You're gonna lose your job, you're gonna, you're they're gonna, you're gonna get in trouble. And I'm, like, I'm not gonna get in trouble. I got instructor of the year and all this stuff at United, I'm, I'm doing great. You're going back, man, I'm freaking top gun, yeah, and, and instructor um, of the year, yeah. And so she. Just kept harping on that, and then the day I got in trouble, when I walked in the door, she, I came in on day, back home on day two of a four-day trip, as soon as I walked in, she goes, you got in trouble, didn't you? And I just broke down, and I told her what had happened, and I had gotten in trouble, and I bust—I I flunked a, a random alcohol test, and um, I wasn't drunk or anything, but in, in the airlines, yeah, if but you, that if level, you, get, you yeah. get any level, I had residual hangover, I guess, in there. And so um, she got so mad, and I said, "And they want me. I have to go to rehab. She goes, I'm divorcing you. I'm done. I'm not going down with you. I'm, I'm, you go to rehab. You get there on your own, and when you come back, I'm going to be gone. I'm taking the kids, and my mom, her mom had moved in with us. and Her dad had passed away, and so for a year she'd been living with us. And um, she said, we're going to be gone when you get back. And I was just scared. I mean, I knew I was in trouble. I'm in. I'm embarrassed. Um, everything. My world is caving in here. And now I'm going. How to rehab. old are you at this time? I, I'm just probably approximately. in my 40s. Okay. Just yeah. trying to pin it for everybody yeah. in your story. Yeah. Um, my my sobriety date is 2000 October 16th of 2000. So put that back. How I many 22 years ago or whatever. But anyway, she uh, she was just mad. I mean, so angry with me. So I go off to rehab. And um, in rehab, the first nine days, I I didn't talk to anybody. I was so hurt. I was just scared. I was mad. I didn't feel like I had to be in rehab. I, I didn't even think I had a drinking problem. You felt like I the felt like I just had a bad day. put you there. Yeah, and I just had a bad day. I shouldn't be here. And now I'm a forty-something guy with a bunch of twenty-something marijuana and heroin people, and I'm going. I'm not like them. I don't need to be here. And so I just said I'm. I'm just doing my time, and I literally pulled my arm, and for nine days I didn't talk. I mean, I would me in small group, wouldn't say a word. I'd be, I'd, I'd sit by myself at the meal times and wouldn't talk to anybody. So at, by nine days, everybody there thought I really I couldn't talk. They just thought I couldn't talk. And oh, they um, missed that one. <laughs> totally yeah. misread. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was just so angry scared just you know i i saw my whole world and what was really happening was i was seeing my identity come crashing down because my identity was a false identity my identity was a pilot a a successful pilot and now that was about to get taken away from me and losing the FAA pulled my tickets and the fbi was after me I, i mean the whole world was crashing on me and so um and that the reason the FBI wanted to talk to me was they don't like people that are still under mil- top secret clearances that have a drinking problem because maybe you talk to much. You might talk too much. So yeah. they wanted to ask me some questions. So anyway, um, so on day 10 of my stay in, in rehab, I was in my uh, room, and or I was getting ready to start the day, I should say, in my room, and I decided, you know what, I'm paying for this out-of-pocket, not covered by my insurance. I might as well get my money's worth. I was feeling a little bit better. And I decided I was going to talk. So that morning in small group, as the guy's going around to everybody doing a check-in, how you doing? And he gets to me, just passes over me, goes to the next guy. I said, wait a minute. You're going to I'm participate. Gonna, I'm <laughs> going to talk now. And they all whoa, he can talk, you know. And I, I said some profound words or something. And it went out in the, in the whole thing. Rock can talk, you know. And people came up to me at lunchtime and said, hey, say something to me or something. Anyway, um, I just kind of decided i'd go ahead and make the best of it so that night i decided i would do the homework uh, up until then I, would, I wouldn't do any of the assigned homework i wouldn't write and i just what uh,
0: was this a 30-day rehab 30, 30 so day you're just gonna step. do the time, no, just get, the time and get out here clock out. my
1: wife won't won't answer the phone nope uh, the, they did first week of um after the first week they had family day on a sunday and, and all the People's husbands and kids came up, and all her wives came up. Yeah, Vicky, she Newton didn't do it. Didn't come, so she's holding to
0: her word. Like she's yeah. like, "You go to rehab, I'm, I'm done." I'm
1: assuming she's gone. And the more I call, the more I'm trying. As the time goes on, I mean, she's not answering anything, and not coming up. So, but uh, on so by um, day ten, though, I decide I'm going to go ahead and do the homework. And the first question, I just remembered a scripture. I remembered a scripture in Psalms, and so I went to my bag. I grabbed this bag. And I'm sitting at this little desk. I'm in this rehab cottage where there's just a little desk, a single bed, a dresser, and that's it. And then there's a um, a bathroom that's off kind of to the side. And I'm sitting at the desk looking out the window as the sun has gone down, it's gotten dark. And I opened up my Bible to this verse. And as soon as I started reading the verse, God's holiness his presence his glory everything filled the room it slew me in the spirit i was blown back in the chair onto the floor and now i'm in the chair with my feet up in the air my arms pegged on the floor my head's back on the floor upside down in this chair and i can't move i can't open my eyes because the glory of god is in the room it's like unbelievable and then he starts talking to me
0: you got knocked out in a rehab cottage by god I had a burning bush experience. See, this is what is so revelatory for people is is they assume that, so many people, that when you are... I mean, let's just be honest. You got you got caught in a sin issue. So, like, you've, you've got an addiction issue, and they assume that that's going to be too much for God. That if you have the clutter of the past, that he's going to be offended by it, he's going to run from you, even though throughout the New Testament, Jesus is always with... The catchphrase tax collectors and sinners. Right. He's always I mean the Pharisees, they get mad at him. They're saying, why, why is he always I mean, they called him a glutton and a drunkard? Look, like he is with the people such that he pitches sin as a issue that needs healing, not as a moral issue, but as a hey, something's not whole with you. And he approached it like a physician, not like a judge. Right. And so the fact that God would show up like a burning bush in a rehab. Somebody needs to hear that.
1: It wasn't at a church. It wasn't in a church, and I wasn't expecting it, and I hadn't been had any prep getting led up to this happening. He just came, and um, and the first thing he said to me was, "Rock, I never left you. You've been running from me. I've been here the whole time." And then he then. He so he's out. running with you, <laughs> like never he, will I leave me right there, you. Thank right you. You're there. out running the, him. He's like mm-hmm. right on you. Yeah. And he he told he he took me through my life very quickly. And I, of course, I don't remember how long I was actually out. But I mean, he told me all this stuff. But the thing that I remember the most, the, the biggest point, at the end, he said, "Rock, I'm gonna. I have to give you a new heart. I have to heal your heart. I have to give you a new heart." And he, and he told me that because he said, your life, things have happened to you. you. Your heart's been bruised by the events of life to where it's hardened. And I'm calling you to do something where that will be in the way. I need to give you a new heart. And I didn't say, I, I couldn't talk. <laughs> I'm just listening. But, but at that moment, I felt God touch my heart. I mean, I felt his hand or something on my heart and i'm here to tell you i've never been the same so you physically felt, yeah something yeah i mean it was amazing and then it was over and then i'm just laying on the floor I, I have to get up and all that so the next day for breakfast i was getting ready and i was a little bit late and you're supposed to be there right at seven o'clock Wait, day 11 now i'm on day uh, day 11 okay And, um, and I, I'm the last one to go in and there's like these two French doors leading into the cafeteria. Everyone's sitting around and there's clacking and noise and stuff. And I'm going to just try to sneak in so nobody knows that I'm late, getting into the little line and get my breakfast and then go sit down. And as, as soon as I walked in, the whole place went dead silent and every single person was looking at me. And I actually turned around, looked behind me to see what they were looking at, but then I realized they were looking at me. And, um they just somebody that's sitting in one of the tables there said what the heck happened to you because i I believe i still must have been kind of glowing and i started to say well you guys aren't going to believe this but last night god came in my room and then i went they're going to really put me in the padded room if i say that i'm not going to tell them that i just went nothing and walked around but uh, i really they could see something on my face so the rest of the time at rehab god just reconnected with me all right so i come home and here's the main part of the story i come home and um uh i'm expecting an empty house and there's cars are there and my wife's there and the kids are and i walked in i said this is good this is, maybe i have a chance here maybe this maybe she's not really going to do it and as soon as i walked in she came over to me and put her finger around my chest she said don't think one thing. I hate your guts. Don't look at me. Don't talk to me. Mom got sick while you were at rehab. She can't get out of the bed. I can't get the bed out the door. I'm still leaving you. I'm divorcing you. I'm taking the kids, but uh, I have to wait till mom's well enough to be able to, to leave. And she walked off. And I went, wow, wow, that's welcome home, Rock. And I went in my office and I, I started praying. Because meantime, during that rehab time, I'm really getting back with the Lord. And I prayed, prayed. I said, God, I don't think I can do this. I mean, I think, I think she's really mad. Um, I don't know what, what should I do. And the Lord said, Rock, I'm going to teach you how to love your wife unconditional. And He told me He gave me a vision in that in that moment, right then and there. He reminded me of a movie that I used to watch all the old black and white World War II movies. Yeah. And it was about the sub commander chasing the ships and sinking them with torpedoes and stuff. And so the scene comes up, and the, the skipper comes up on deck in the sub, and he goes, Up, scope! And the scope goes up, and he pulls the handles down, he turns his hat around, and he looks in the scope, and then the mm-hmm. scene goes up to the horizon, and you see the, you know, he's, he's scanning the horizon looking for a ship, and then he sees one. He puts the, the crosshairs in the, in the periscope on the ship, and he looks down, now I go back down into the submarine, and he looks at the little ensign next to him, he says, Give him two pings of ranging. And so then you always hear that sonar sound in the sub, like right? beep boom, beep boom. And this kid goes fifteen hundred meters off the starboard bow, sir. And then the old crusty guy looks in the in this periscope and he goes, Roger, loads tubes one and two. Fire one, fire two, off they go. Hits the boat, blows it up. They're all down in the sub five five and then God said, So rock, loving your wife unconditionally. As you send out the ping of love with no expectation of a pong coming back. And I went, well, I don't know if I can do you that. No pong? Nope, nope, nothing coming back. No matter yeah. what she said, you're just sending out the love, nothing coming back.
0: So he's testing, you got this new heart.
1: So he's going to teach me how to, to love my it. wife unconditionally, just like yeah. God loved me, right? So I st- set out to do that. And about that time, that book, The Love Dare, came out. And so I used that for the first 40 days. I just did the love dare. And I'm doing all these things. But that set the pace for me. I'm going to a meeting every single day at AA at 6 o'clock, early bird. And, and I'm getting some um, help and community from that. But my wife is telling me every day, she's just, I mean, there's daggers coming out of her eyes. She is angry with me, and it is not getting better. Well, she said she hated you. I mean, she'd tell me that all the time. And she would constantly be telling me, I hate you. Don't look at me. Don't touch me. I was stuck in the house with her, but that was it. I mean, Where are you sleeping? I'm. Mean, we're in the same room, in the same bed. But, I mean, that's. I'm sleeping next to a, a, a curtain in the middle of an a a ice cube over here and, you know, actually more of a fire over here. So, anyway, I'm doing all these things, little notes. God said you're going to need to just love on her even though she doesn't love anything back or send anything back. Just pain, send no out the ping, no pong, right? So when I get to six months, 180 days. You've been loved, Darren. I've, I've been doing this for 180 days, unconditional love, trying my best. No matter what she said, I just, I just you know, I'm sorry you feel that way, honey. I just love I'm trying my best. I'm, I'm sober. I'm, I'm not drinking anymore. I'm done. But she didn't believe me. And rightfully so. She didn't trust me. There was zero trust. And, uh, and there's lots of wounds. So I'm, I'm after this meeting, I'm, they're congratulating me. I'm feeling pretty good. So I'm driving home. And I see this florist. And I said, you know, surely if I show her this six-month coin and I buy her this big thing of flowers, and she's been seeing me every day go to these meetings every single day. I've been going to church, taking the kids to church and all this stuff. She knows I'm changing. And so I stop. I pull into the florist. I spent like 200 bucks on this big arrangement. I could barely get it in my back seat. I get a rush home. I put it on the counter. We have the big island in the kitchen. I put it on the end of the. So when she comes down the steps, and she turns at the, at the landing and comes into the kitchen area. It's the first thing she's going to see. It's going to be right there. Can't miss it, right? And I'm sitting over in the little nook waiting for her to come down so she can see it. And then I'll show her my coin. And maybe we'll get some traction and get, you know, she won't be hating me. So finally she gets, she wakes up. Because I go early bird, so she's normally not up when I come home. She gets up, comes down. She gets to that land, She looks at those flowers. She looks over at me, looks back at those flowers. She comes down those steps, like, two at a time. I mean, bam, 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 she's down. Takes one sweep with her hand and sweeps the whole big thing, like there's an open-faced trash can at the end of the island. She was trying to, like, rake it into the trash can. But it was so big that it just hit and crashed onto the floor and broke and flowers everywhere. And she comes around the flowers, runs up to me, and puts her finger in my chest. She says, that doesn't do one thing for me. I hate your guts. I'm divorcing you. As soon as mom's well enough, I'm leaving and off she went. So mom's been sick the whole time. Now six mom's months. still sick. Still and she's worse. Now that we got nurses coming in, she's not out. can't get out of the bed and all that. So um she leaves and I go in my little office and I close the door and for the 6 months I was what I call I had John Wayneism. I was, all her words were like arrows were in my arm, in my leg or my chest. And I just Like John Wayne, break it off, keep on fighting, you know, don't, just ignore it, you know. The problem is those arrowheads are still in there. I'm breaking off the arrows, but they're still there. But this time, I didn't, and I deserve some of those. But this time, that was like a spear in my heart. And I didn't deserve it. And it really hurt me. And I started weeping and I said, okay, God, you're right. I don't know how to love unconditionally. I give up. I quit. I'm done. I'm going to give her what she wants. I'm going to leave. And uh, we had properties and stuff. And so I just figured I'd go somewhere else. And I went upstairs. She had left with the kids to go somewhere else. To this day, I don't know where she went. But I start packing. I had all my bags on the bed. And like a kid crying, and like tears coming out of my eyes, snot coming out of my nose. Nobody appreciates me. I'm trying my best. And I'm putting all my stuff in my bag and getting my uniforms. And I get about halfway through packing. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving. I am really hurt by what she just did. And I hear this ding. No, I didn't think I hear. I don't think it was really an audible ding, but I thought I heard this ding. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say one word: "Persevere." I hate the p word. Persevere. I put my foot up on the bed rail. I lifted my hands, looked up at the ceiling and at the fan. I went, "Persevere? Are you kidding me?" For six months, I've been doing this unconditional love thing. She's getting worse, not better. It's worse now than it was ever before. I quit. I'm giving up. I'm giving her what she wants. I'm out of here. And I just heard the Lord say, you don't get it yet, Rock. Persevere. Don't give up. And I mean, I just went, and I don't know what happened, but I went, okay. unpacked the bags, put the bags back in the attic, and went back down and committed to keep doing what I was doing. My wife didn't know about that, because if I had left that day, I guarantee I would not have come back my pride, my everything, would be, I wouldn't be here. But I went back to my unconditional love and to doing everything I could, no pong. Sent out the ping, no pong. So fast forward to the story day 365. Now I got one year coin. I go to my meeting and they even let me talk in the meeting. They give me a metal coin, not a plastic coin. One year, congratulations, sober. I've been to a meeting every single day. God's been taking my spiritual life like crazy. We're accelerating. I'm learning. He's catching me up for the years wasted. Everything in my life is going great. I'm flying again. I'm back on status. And and I'm not in trouble with anybody. I'm making more money than I've ever made before. But my marriage is going through the toilet. It's the worst it's ever been. And I got so pumped up with with the congratulations by everybody in the community of the AA group on my way home, I go by that forest. I go, surely if I show her the coin, the metal coin, and I get her some more flowers, she's got to believe that I've changed. She's seen me do this for a whole year now. The only problem is that at that time, that thought lasted about three seconds. And then I said, there's no way I'm putting my heart back out of my sleeve and letting her stomp all over it again. And I just kept on driving, went home. I never said a word to her. I never told her anything about my one-year coin, nothing. So then you go to day 368 three days later i came home from my meeting and this time for the first time she was up sitting at the table reading the paper drinking coffee that was my first thing when i walked in this is different because normally she's still not up yet so i just go get a cup of coffee and um, grab the sports page and sit at the other end of the kitchen table and here we are 368 days sitting at the same table opposite of each other, not acknowledging each other's presence, not speaking to each other with any kind of words for 368 days. And all of a sudden, as I'm reading the paper, I hear the ruffle of her pages, and then I hear out of her mouth for the first time, in a very calm and polite way, she asks, Rock, why haven't you told me what's going on at AA, or why haven't you talked to me about what God's doing in your life? And I remember literally just moving the paper all the way, looking over at her and going, you talking to me? Because that's the first civil words I heard out of her mouth in 368 days. I put the paper down and went over and sat next to her. And I said, babe, because God told me to keep my mouth shut because you wouldn't believe anything I'd try to tell you. He said, don't, don't try to convince you, show you. Don't talk about it, do it. And she looked at me and she smiled. And she said, I believe you. And that's the first day of God totally restoring my marriage. She's my best friend. She's hot. She's hot. I mean, she just, I can't imagine being, being without her. But he had to teach me how to love her unconditionally and yeah. take self out. What he taught me was humility. I define humility in the school as a willingness to die to self and be totally dependent on the Lord and um it's just an amazing thing and so i tell people that come in for marriage counseling all the time and they tell me all their war stories and everything i say man i'm your hope because if god can restore my marriage like he did yeah. he can restore yours and they listen to that and they hear that and that gets them started and we go through the three steps the three spiritual principles we start with the childhood and we and we work through the marriage stuff but um, that that story of 368 days was the hardest year of my life. I'm a words of affirmation guy. Yeah. And I didn't get into didn't that get for it. 368 days.
0: We start learning there, you know, so often we love not to give, we lo- we love to get. Mm-hmm. And it's such a subtle shift and and in that, you know, when people come in for counseling and and for help with their marriage, you see the one of the principles we talked about in a previous episode where There's power in in a story that's told that's true, where you see God's power and His presence moving on behalf of someone else. It causes faith to rise. Goodness, the same power that restored you is present in that story. When you tell that couple that's in crisis that same story, and all of a sudden, oh, this this might could work for us.
1: I think it could work for us. It worked for them. And so, so what it just is ignites. That? So what is that? It's the same thing that all three aspects of TM do. It's the same outcome. We just bring hope. If we yeah. can bring the hope, then they can receive Jesus' love to bring the healing. It's not about us being smart enough to bring the healing. We bring the hope. Jesus and God bring the healing and deliverance. It works. Because if, if they don't have the hope, they won't listen to anything else you're saying. They won't even try. They won't even do the homework you give them and stuff. Right. But they got hope.
0: Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, let, let me ask you a couple follow-up questions to that. So what what are some of the things you guys did after that moment? So she reconnects with you. Mm-hmm. Y- okay, we're going to be okay. What, what, what was what were some of the things that were involved in walking that out, yeah. that going forward, some of the tools? One some of the, the, the things,
1: the biggest thing was at that point there, she realized that she was a relatively new, she grew up Greek Orthodox and really wasn't saved. And she got saved only a few years earlier. She was a very new Christian. And she, for the first time then, started saying, I'm willing to listen to what you'll teach me. So from that point forward, she began, I began to be able to um, talk to her about the things of God. I began to be able to share stuff. But the biggest thing was, is me not telling her what she needed to do or how she needed to change or anything. My thing was I was just telling her all the excitement of what God was doing to me, you know, how He was changing me and what He was showing me, and that by by testimony of that to her, got her wanting to do that. She would. I didn't have to tell her to go do that. She'd, she. I'd find out two weeks later she was reading the same book that I had been reading, or she yeah. was trying to do this. So she she started listening. So there was there was a um, a teaching bit. I got to step into the role of being her cover. The husband is the cover for the wife, and anything that's coming into the marriage that's messing up the marriage is coming through the husband, whether they want to believe it or not. We are the roof. (laughs) The wife's the walls. The wife has to support the roof, and uh, they both have purposes, but if there's stuff and problems, it's coming through the roof. And God was dealing with all my holes, (laughs) right, and plugging up the holes, and she was beginning to believe that that was happening. So um and again and for her case she had hope. Maybe this marriage is going to be able to work. Maybe he is changed. Maybe he isn't going to drink anymore. So um that was one of the big things. We started doing a little bit more involved with the church together stuff. I was doing things at the church before to get my accolades, to get my words of my words of hey, thanks for leading this or thanks for doing that and and now we're going to church just together to be a church, you know. So we we changed in that regard. Um I don't, I think trust, God was teaching us how to build trust. You know, it takes two, there's two pillars for intimacy in relationship. And that one is the ability to trust. The second one is the willingness to be vulnerable. And if you, if the enemy can attack one or both of those, you're never going to have intimacy in your relationship. You might have great sex, you might have friendship, but you're not going to have intimacy the way God wants you to have intimacy. And what God had to show me in my marriage, was first what's intimacy, and he did it in the vertical. He showed me intimacy as a father to a son, and then once I learned it, I was able to go to horizontal to my wife. Yeah, and I tell people all the time: if, you, if you're struggling with intimacy in relationship, don't try to get it out of your spouse. Go first to God, get the get it from the Lord, and then it'll overflow out of you. Into the horizontal. That's a good word
0: right there that that I think a lot of guys particularly need to lock on to. Because I think we look to our wives so often for support, for for, for something that... that, It's not that they don't have it. It's just it's not their responsibility to give it. Mm -hmm. And so if we got it first, then we would have it to to give as an overflow of what the Lord's doing in us. Man, this is an incredible story. I'm going to put some links down in the show notes for... People there. Uh, one of them is I'm going to put the link to the video that you've got about the orphan spirit. Um, to where particular men, if you're listening, this would be a great place to start to reconnect, to get that intimacy, get off the performance mentality, get to the intimacy with your heavenly Father, uh, so that you do have it to give. Uh, another link, I'm going to put that Love Dare book. That is old school, that's but old I'm, school. I'm going to put it there where people can find it. It's still a great tool. Uh, it's a great. And tool sometimes the best tools that. aren't the newest. It's it's the thing that's tried and true that you know has mm-hmm. gotten great results. I'm also going to put a link down there as well on the Transformation website, which has, by the way, been completely redone. There is an aspect of ministry here, issue-focused ministry, and at Transformation, they do that for individuals. Uh, they also do a what's called a thorough format for individuals. Uh, this is all described on the website. There's also a couples oh. thorough format ministry, and I'm going to put a link down there to that. Because if you are a couple right now that's in crisis or if you know someone, a friend that's come to you to say, oh, I don't know what to do, this may be at least just to give them the information, at least just to take a look, at least just to find a source of hope, this may be an aspect for you. So I'm, I'm going to put that information down there. Man, thank you so much for sharing yeah. just the, the good. You know, hear that a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, like. Good old Clint Eastwood, good, bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of people can relate to that
1: struggle. Right. All Sign right. us off. Well, come join the tribe. We're all down here at uh, 1500 Resource Drive in Birmingham, and uh, we'd love to have you come visit us. All right, we'll see you next time.